You know, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, um, we read how Moses called God's people together and invited them to listen attentively to his teaching. And then he said some important words. And he said, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street, or talk about them from the time you get up in the morning till the time you fall in bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on the city gates. Now, ancient uh, Jews, as well as contemporary folks, refer to these words as the Shema, and it's repeated each a day at the beginning of the day by those who are serious about living a godly life. Now, ever since Moses spoke those words, parents who want their children to have a living faith in God have tried to follow the, that lifestyle. So as it may it serve as a reminder today for us as, uh, as people of God that our role is to pass on our faith in Christ to the next generation. So as we do that today and celebrate Christian education in, in uh, this service today, uh, we are reminded that this is God's call to keep moving the faith from one generation to the next. Let's pray together. Surprising and persistent God, you never give up on us. You seek us and you follow us and you call us out. And we cannot escape from your uh, drawing uh, us to yourself. And only when we turn to you, though, do we find that sweetness of life, that reason for living, that ever-flowing fountain of joy that you've promised. So thank you for your amazing grace that continues to surprise us and comfort us and renew us. Give us hearts of gratitude that we might forever sing your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes I wonder... Um, if our children and our grandchildren uh, will have the same faith in God that we have as the years go by. That concerns me a lot. And I think about that, and that it was true even back generations ago during the time of Moses in the Old Testament. At the end of four decades of very frustrating wandering around in the wilderness, Moses spoke to the Israelites about um, the, the life that they would live in the promised land. And sometimes I think that we think this promised land was going to be a perfect place, but place of no temptations, an ideal place. But it was not to be that way. They were, uh, these, uh, God's people were going to be scattered throughout this new land. They would be confronted by people who had different values, different lifestyles, a different faith from theirs. And it was necessary if they were going to survive and thrive as the people of God in the hostile environment to, to understand uh, God's commands and follow them. How could they do that? How could they continue to teach their children how to thrive among a people that would have very different values? You know, and it's the same question that faces us today. Will our children have faith? What did they, uh, the, what did they do then and what can we do today to make sure that that happens? You know, every, week, every year during this third weekend in May, we take a few moments to celebrate our uh, Christian education ministry here at Redeemer. It's the final day of classes for our kids and for our youth, and 
we like to give our students and our teachers a little break during the summer months. But today's an opportunity to just say thank you to teachers, to shepherds, to small group leaders, to various other staff and volunteers who continue to make our Christian education ministry uh, an excellent ministry year after year by their dedication, by their willingness uh, to give of themselves. And some of you sitting here today are part of those folks who make that happen, so thank you. Today we're gonna focus our attention uh, in the message on a passage of scripture near the end of the Gospel of John in the New Testament that reminds us that faith is a process. And when we feel stuck, when we feel like we're wandering around uh, asking what's next for us in life, we only need to take one step uh, in that journey with God, knowing that when we do take that first step, God will meet us and he will walk by our side. So I invite you today to open your lives to the spirit of truth as we seek new life in Jesus Christ. Pray with me for a moment. Loving God in whom we live and move and have our being, we invite you to dwell with us in this place today, transforming the landscape of our souls, granting us the nourishment we need. We are hungry for your truth and we are thirsty for real peace in our life. So hear our prayer and our praise and turn us away from evil and prepare us for the life uh, to which you call us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you weren't here last week, let me share with you that we are in uh, the middle week of a three-part series of messages called What's Next? What led to this series was thinking about um, Easter and the buildup that we go through in getting ready for Easter and celebrating uh, the foundational day of, in our faith that incorporates Jesus' death and his resurrection, uh, but also thinking that the, about the impact that that particular day had on um, the disciples, the followers of Jesus in the days that followed. How did they handle uh, Easter? How did they handle the resurrection? Uh, and it, what's next is a question that a lot of us ask at points on our journey of faith. Sometimes it's um, at a, a, a change of jobs. Sometimes it's at a change in our family status or a relationship status. Sometimes um, uh, there's a multitude of issues uh, and circumstances at which we stop for a moment and say, what's next for me? What's next in my life? And that question, what's next, was a question that the disciples, I think, asked themselves daily after Jesus rose from the dead. What did the resurrection mean for their lives? What did it mean for their world? What were the disciples supposed to do now that Jesus was alive and not leading them in the same way that he had the past three years? Jesus was no longer walking from town to town, from place to place, with these disciples. Literally, Jesus was not publicly teaching down by the seashore. He wasn't preaching in the synagogue. He was not leading his friends in the same way that he had in the past. Some of the confusion or the uncertainty that these disciples faced during this time is found in a story that we're gonna look at today near the end of John's Gospel. And I want you to hear it in John's own words. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples be, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. 
Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and drugged dragged the net to the shore, there were 153 fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Let me give you a little background. Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross on a Friday and rose from the dead three days later on Easter morning. He first appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem, but here we find at least seven of those disciples back in Galilee. Galilee was 70 miles from Jerusalem, and without any means of transportation besides their own two feet, it would have taken them about six days walking to get there. So it was a big decision to return to what was home for these disciples. The question is, why did they go there? And why did they go back to fishing? In Matthew and Mark's gospel, we hear that Jesus told his disciples that he would meet them again in Galilee. So maybe after seeing Jesus in the upper room in Jerusalem, they felt like they needed to go back home to see him again. Maybe they just didn't know what else to do why they went back to fishing, we don't know for sure. They may have needed the food or the money, or it could have been they just didn't know what else to do. So they returned to what they knew best. The death and and resurrection of Jesus had literally rocked their world. And so during this time of uncertainty, when they didn't know what their future held, maybe the disciples just went back to what was known and comfortable for them, and that was fishing. But what happened to them while they fished tells us what we need to do whenever we get to that place in life where we're asking God, what's next for us? What do you have for me next, God? And the first thing that we see here is that on our own, on their own, the disciples were pretty helpless. Uh, They went back to fishing. They hadn't been able to catch anything all night Uh, On their own, they weren't getting anywhere. On their own, they were coming up empty. Does that sound familiar to anyone? How many times do we struggle in life to do things our way, only to find out that we're getting nowhere? 
We rely on our own wisdom and our own strength, and we come up empty. And when we're looking for direction and when we're needing strength to make it to the, through the next day, or looking for healing, or looking for hope, and looking for new beginnings in our life, the first thing we need to do is to admit that we can't do it on our own. We can't get there on our own. We need to confess our own insufficiency and our own weakness so that we can begin to lean on and trust in God. God wants to be our strength, but he never can be as long as we're trusting in ourselves. The Apostle Paul was a man who throughout his early life trusted in his own strength and ability. He trusted his family history and that gave him power and position. He trusted his education that had gotten him very far in life. But now all at once, he tr- everything that he trusted in was leading to coming up empty. And it was from that place of emptiness that Paul heard God say to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, God's power cannot enter our lives as long as we're trusting in our own power to see us through. God's wisdom cannot lead us as long as we're trusting in our own knowledge, in our own insight to give us direction. God's presence can't lead us as long as we're trusting in our own ability to get through life. Paul said that he would boast and delight in his weakness because when he was weak, then and only then is God able to be strong in us. And it's when we can boast in our weakness or at least acknowledge that what we lack on our own that we can learn to, uh, to trust God and begin to find God's strength and power and grace that will help to move us forward. When the disciples could no longer find fish on their own, Jesus showed up and told them to fish off the other side of the boat. And when they did, they got everything that they needed and more. But the disciples only got more because they were willing to follow what Jesus had told them. They only got a huge catch of fish that morning because they listened to Jesus and did what he asked them to do. Now let's be clear, this miraculous catch of fish did not answer all of the disciples' questions. It wasn't meant to. The disciples were to open their eyes so that they could see the one who does have all the answers. They didn't know what more Jesus would be asking them to do, but they were faithful in that one step, and that opened the door for for them to, to receive more. What this means for us is that we need to follow God one step at a time. If we're searching for anything in life, the answers don't usually come down from heaven in a manual with all the steps laid out, do they? They usually come from our being willing to take and follow God one step at a time. In the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to uh, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race 
and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. And here's what Paul is saying. Let's live up to what we've already attained. Let's obey what we already know of God. Because when we do that, God will lead us forward. You know, Abraham in the Old Testament was one of the first people called by God. So in many ways, he's the prototype for all of us who want to follow God. And what God told Abraham was to leave his home and go to the land that God would show him. And Abraham didn't know where that land was. He didn't have a clue where God was taking him. So all he could do was to leave everything behind, leave his home, leave the, his, everything that was familiar, and trust that God would lead him to a good and new place. In many ways, the disciples are learning that they too are going to have to trust God. They're going to have to trust Jesus to lead them one step at a time into a new life that would only happen for them if they listen and if they obey. And you know what? The same is true for us. When I was a lot younger, I spent a lot of time in the woods in western Pennsylvania where we grew up. And I discovered very early on that a person can get turned around very easily in the, in the deep woods and get lost. And since I've always been a little directionally challenged uh, to find my way out of the woods, I made sure I noticed specific markers along the way, a certain uh, group of trees, a rock formation, a clearing in the woods. You know, when we are uncertain about our future and are asking the question, what's next? We need to stop and say, how can I be faithful and obey God today? What do I know of God that I can follow today so that God can lead me into tomorrow? Trusting and obeying God today will lead us into the future, and obedience really is the key. We don't have to have all the answers. We need to just follow one step at a time. Once the disciples obey Jesus and throw their nets over the other side of the boat, they haul in a catch of fish so large that it starts to sink the boat. Now, these disciples were professional fishermen. They knew more about fishing than the human Jesus would ever dream of knowing. They had been fishing all night. They certainly had fished both sides of the boat and everything in between, but they had caught nothing. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is Jesus' command and their willingness to obey that command. And as soon as all of that happened, as soon as this huge uh, net of fish uh, surfaced, uh, Peter is convinced that it's Jesus on the shore. Because it was Jesus who provided a catch of fish just like that years before. And when Peter knows it's Jesus, the Bible says he jumped in the water and he quickly made his way to Jesus. Peter is eager for fellowship. Peter runs to be in the presence of Jesus. And that is a powerful picture of what we too need to do when we're uncertain and when we're confused and when we're looking for God's direction in our life. We need to run 
to Jesus. We need to let nothing stand in the way of our being in God's presence. We live in a culture today where everything tries to keep us from the presence of Jesus. We are distracted 24-7 by news, by sports, by entertainment, which can be tailored to meet our specific tastes and interests. And this means that there is always something somewhere that we can watch, that we can listen to, that we can go do. And if all else fails, we can turn to social media and we can see what everybody else is doing. And with all of this distraction and with jobs that demand and hound us through day and night, being in the presence of God is something that we have to intentionally work to do. And that's why worship is so important in our lives and why we encourage you to make worship a priority. Worship together as the church is at least one time in a week when we can intentionally put ourselves in the presence of God and set aside some of those life distractions. Worship is important not just because I'm going to say something profound that will answer all of life's questions, although sometimes I do think I say something profound, Um, but it's important because it's here. It's here in the presence of God that we just might experience you know, that new sense of direction. God may just give us those answers that we're seeking. God may just shower us, if nothing else, with his love and his grace and his power. More importantly, it's in the presence of God that we are given courage, we're given confidence to take that next step of faith. And it's in the presence of God that we can receive God's love that we can bring, that, that, that love brings healing into our lives, it brings hope, it brings the assurance that we are loved by God. And those are things that can also take us to the next step in our faith journey. Being in the presence of God is not just some place we go each week. It needs to be the place that we run to every day. I want you to listen to how King David talked about it during his lifetime. And it's from Psalm 31. David said, I run to you, God. I run for dear life. You're my cave to hide in, in, my cliff to climb. Be my safe leader. Be my true mountain guide. Free me from the hidden traps. I want to hide in you. I've put my life in your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. I hate all this silly religion, but you, God, I trust. I'm I'm leaping and singing in the circle of your love. You saw my pain. You disarmed my tormentors. You didn't leave me in their clutches, but gave me room to breathe. Be kind to me, God. I'm in deep, deep trouble again. I've cried my eyes out. I feel hollow inside. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade out in sighs. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones to powder. Desperate, I throw myself on you. You are my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand, safe from the hands out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. Save me because you love me. What a stack of blessing you have piled up for those who worship you, ready and waiting for all who run to you. You see, something happens when we run to God. 
God welcomes us and God feeds us. When the disciples and Peter finally get to the shore, Jesus does what? He feeds them. Jesus provides for them. He cares for them. And we talk about ministering to others, and we do a lot of that here at Redeemer. That kind of love and action is vital to our faith. But before we can do that consistently with our lives, we need to first allow God to feed us. Before Jesus sent the disciples out into the world, he fed them. Before we can go and do anything and before we can fully live into the future that God has for us, we need to allow God to feed us and we need to figure out how to do that consistently. This is so important because if we don't learn how to do that, we will eventually be running on empty. On our own, we're nothing. We are going to be ineffective until we can learn how to be nourished by God. You know, one of the greatest truths I think we need to learn in life comes from maybe an unlikely place, the airline industry. You know, most of us have been on a flight to somewhere, one time or another, and during the safety instructions, you'll remember that we are told that when the mass, air mass drops from the ceiling, what? We are to attach our own first and then help others. It is so important to make sure we are being fed and cared for and nurtured by God ourselves before we can live the life that helps others. We need to learn how to eat first before we can feed others. It isn't being selfish, it's the reality of life. We need to make sure we are getting all that we can from Jesus so that we can effectively love and care for the people around us. And while times in worship and prayer and study of God's word can feed us, we're also fed through times of fellowship. When we come together to eat, to talk, to serve, we are encouraged spiritually and emotionally to be fed by God. This is when we know that we are being loved and cared for, and then that helps us to go out and learn how to love and care for the people around us. Fellowship feeds us. There are times we all get to that place in our life or in our faith when we stop for a moment and we're asking the big question, what's next, God? What's next? And while those sometimes can be frustrating and confusing moments, God shows us how to make it through and find what we need. We simply have to confess our own weakness. Our weakness is that we try to manage life all on our own. And then we're to obey what we already know and what God is trying to teach us. And then we're to run, to be in the presence of God and take in all that we can of what God is providing. And if we can come, if this can become the core of our life and of our life of faith, our step-by-step God will lead us into the future that he has for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, too often uh, we find ourselves trusting in our own strength to get us through. We find ourselves trusting our own wisdom to lead uh, the way and our own abilities to provide for our needs. And we pray today that you would forgive us. Show us the futility of that thinking and teach us to live depending on you and you alone, one step at a time. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray.
Amen.